0: Hello, and welcome to Talking in Shul, a roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Tamar Fox, and I've got Zahava Stadler joining us from Toronto. Hi, Zahava. Hey, Tamar. Mimi Lewis is taking a break this month, but we're thrilled to welcome past and future guest Yael Kalman, who is joining us from Minneapolis. Hi, Yael. Hello. We're so excited to have you back, especially because this week we are talking about one of my favorite topics ever, kiddish. Not the blessing you say before drinking wine, but the experience you have at a religious event on Shabbat. I personally have learned that I have super strong feelings about Kiddush, both (laughs) the food and the social experience, and I'm really excited to unpack them with all of you. I've been thinking about this for a really long time. So let's jump in. Let's start with the evolution of Kiddush. I would like to know what you remember about the Kiddush that you Kind of expected at Shul when you were growing up, and what, how that is different from the kiddush that you expect to have now. Ya'el, tell me about kiddush.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, for any listeners out there who know me, I have not moved to Minneapolis. <laughs> I don't have a shadow family in Minneapolis. I'm just here for a work trip. Sure, sure. I still live outside of Philadelphia. The first community that I lived in was in Atlanta, and I remember when when we talked about discussing this topic, I have very strong memories of kiddish in the school I grew up in in Atlanta, and it was Kichel and pink lemonade every single week and probably there was herring too but like I didn't really want to touch that (laughs) but kichel um it's a pastry not not everyone I meet has heard of it not that I talk to everyone I meet about it (laughs) but it's this like kind of. I want you to start every conversation with
0: can I tell you about kichel
1: this will be my icebreaker at my (laughs) corporate law firm where it's like Tell us something strange about you. I'll <laughs> tell you about Kichel, something that you won't be able to pronounce. um So, Kichel is a pastry that is kind of hollow on the inside and just hard enough on the outside. Like, it doesn't break your teeth or anything, but it's just like it's very, and the kind that I grew up on had um, like solid. Sugar on the outside. That was yeah. Out. It has it like counter, like, but it was, but it was, it was it got like, like, like sugar
0: in the raw on the outside. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's <why> I <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we we by, broke by the haba. She's turned. still thinking about <laughs> <laughs> asking everyone. You know if they've heard the good news well, no, about. Well, no. <laughs> 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 And you know the next corporate retreat to have a
1: go to. Sorry, I totally California lost football. it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's pretty early in this podcast too. Um, anyway, <laughs> and so we'll yes. need to get so in it. Out. I'm sorry. Amazing. <laughs> <It's okay.
2: laughs>
1: And also, guys, I just came from a happy hour at, <laughs> for my for my firm retreat, and I came into this a little bit tipsy, and I think that that's just appropriate for you know. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. Maybe we should edit that out. We'll see. No. So anyway, Kichol, pink lemonade. That's what I grew up with. That's at least what I remember there being. There were probably ritz crackers and herring also. And then um, when I was five, my family made Aliyah and moved to Jerusalem and the setup for Kiddush there. So I went to, um, I went to a shul where there was, um, the setup for Kiddush was on a communal basis. There was a volunteer rotation and, um, you know, so the, the selection for Kiddush varied because like different people brought different things a fancy kiddish would have a Yerushalmi kugel. um Yerushalmi kugel and pickles like that was like the best kiddish that you could possibly have growing up but the the experience of kiddish growing up when I lived in Jerusalem which was for most of elementary school was a wonderful like I think probably my first experience of having like creating mindful Jewish community as children, where we would have the sharing picnic, um, where the kids and my sister and I would join together and we would each bring our own plates from Kiddush and we would, and we would trade. Um, and that was a really sweet experience too. Um, but yeah, going from that, more formal setting of like all the tables are set up with pink lemonade and kichel to having this more informal um, and more communal experience and volunteer led experience. Um, And now I live in suburban Philadelphia and the kiddush is basically, it's like a sit down lunch every week Um, and that's kind of the expectation every every Shabbat. And maybe there will be a family celebration where there will be an even bigger one, but the people in our community go into the expectation with it being this This is going to be lunch. So that's the evolution of my personal familial experience with
0: Kiddush. Okay. I have an important follow-up question. The Kiddush of your childhood with Kichel and pink lemonade. You said it was set up on the tables. Was it a buffet or was it like a bunch of tables and they each had their own Kichel and lemonade or you don't know?
1: Okay, I got to say, I don't remember because we left when I was five, five and a half. And so my image is just like looking up at it and just this like, ah! uh-uh. <laughs> pink lemonade, like staring. Up at it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Um, I'll have to get back to you on that separately after I asked some people who had the same same kiddish experience growing up.
0: I don't think I realized this until you said that and I thought about it, but like, I'm not, I think a defining thing about kiddish in my experience is that it's always buffet. Like it's never, there's a bunch of things on your table. It's never family style. Right. It's always
1: buffet. Yes. Okay, now I understand the question. Yes, it was buffet style. It wasn't there is
2: and pink lemonade on each sit down table. To me, that says su'udashli sheet if you have a sit down table with family style things that are specific to your table. And true buffet says kiddish. I mean, when I was a kid, my, shul, my shul's 90s offerings for kiddish are almost identical to what Yael just described. Uh, like Ritz crackers, potato chips, kiffle, herring, nothing that you would recognize as fresh that did not come out of something shelf stable. Um, And soda. And if the soda bottles were not finished, then flatter soda bottles would appear next week. And that was totally fine, but that was the offering. Um, And I think that same shul, which my parents still attend, you know, has expanded, right? There is now a chillent. Um, There's now some fresh things, you know, like cherry tomatoes are there, maybe cucumber sticks, maybe a bowl of bananas. Like um, there's, it's still, unless someone is sponsoring it for an occasion, there isn't like a huge buffet of fancy offerings. I don't know. I think there, I now expect... There to be some kind of vegetable or salad, something fresh, etiquette-ish. I feel like that's sort of a cultural evolution that people expect, like something with vitamins in it Um, and water as an offering, not just soda. Like I think there's a- With ice in a pitcher. Ideally. I mean, not a guarantee, but yeah. But I, I do think there's like a slight evolution towards freshness. Um, and a little bit more hot food offerings as standard. Like you might have kugel or chalent as more of a standard offering, even if it is cheddar, vegetarian chalent. Rude. <laughs> I feel attacked. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I do think it's interesting. So the neighborhood that I live in now in Toronto is... Um, a higher income neighborhood. There are people in our shul who are like pretty wealthy. Um, And I think it is interesting culturally that even that doesn't mean that occasion kiddishes are super ostentatious. I've been in other shuls, especially in parts of the New York area um, where communities with similar levels of material wealth produce much, much, much more ostentatious kiddishes. Um, And so I I think it's interesting, it's an interesting marker of community culture, how ostentatious both the standard offerings and the special occasion sponsored offerings are.
0: Okay, so when I'm a little bit older than both of you, when I grew up there, and I grew up in Chicago going to an egalitarian minion, and the standard kiddish of my childhood was a par of sheet cake that was typically brought by whoever was sponsoring kiddish there was a rotation so like everybody was assigned to bring kiddish a couple times a year and usually people would have it correspond to somebody's birthday or some kind of simcha and then you would get a par of sheet cake from the kosher bakery and it would have um usually balloons like little plastic balloons um embedded in the frosting and as kids we always wanted to get the balloons and we also wanted the corner pieces because they had the most frosting um that was like the most important part of kiddish. but there were also carrots and sometimes hummus and sometimes salsa and like sometimes occasionally like cheese and crackers soda definitely never water but maybe seltzer but usually just soda there was herring sometimes. I don't know if it was always because I'm not a herring person. And it was very much like not lunch. Like if there was a simcha, there would be kiddish lunch. Like after a bar bat mitzvah, there would be lunch with like a caterer, real lunch. But like kiddish after just like a regular Shabbat was not lunch. And it was not meant to be lunch. It was meant to be a nice snack, like a substantial snack, but like not lunch. Oh, and the thing, I think we all kind of mentioned this, but a theme that I think is like kiddish was, and I think basically remains defined by must having something, a sweet component. Like you wouldn't call it kiddish if it was like a really nice salad bar. Like, if there's not like cookies or some kind of, it doesn't need to be kichel. It could be babka. It could be chocolate chip cookies. For over a decade, it was always Entimins, like Entimins donuts. And I think those are still a mainstay of many kiddishes. That was, it was like, you made it through davening. Here's a treat. And that was the treat. But it wasn't lunch. Now I go to a shul in Center City, Philadelphia where they always talk about kiddish lunch. And then they have this problem of like, it's actually expensive to cater lunch for all the people who are at Also, it like, currently our kitchen is um, being renovated. So like, there isn't even a kitchen. It's like, just refrigerators. So it's like, you can't really have lunch. But there's an expectation in the community that there's going to be lunch. So this is like a big issue of debate, which is why I now know that I have strong feelings about about this. And people, there's often like bagels, but the bagels aren't fresh, obviously, because it's Shabbat. So it's like they're from yesterday. And sometimes there's like really random other things. Sometimes there's tuna salad or egg salad. And I don't like it. And I think the reason I don't like it is because it's like, a sad lunch as opposed to like a substantial snack. Like, I think if it's framed to me as like, these are snacky items, take as many as you want. And there's like a bunch of different kinds. I'm like, this is great. And if it's framed to me as like, this is kiddish lunch. And then it's like sad bagels. I'm like, I'm sad. And in between, I've had like all kinds of different kiddish experiences, but... I will say that notable and related to your Israel experience and what you were saying about fresh food, zahaba. when I lived in New York and I went to Kehilat Hadar, I was once at an Ufruf where somebody's Israeli family had come in from Israel for this wedding. And at Kiddish there were like four tables set up with food on them. And the food was treats, you know, it was like little cookies and little brownie bites and chuck, whatever. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was mostly treats. And I kept going, I went to each of the four tables and at each of the four tables, a child from this Israeli family was like looking at the table and being like, yeah, I'm so excited to take all the treats. And like 10 seconds later, their parent would show up and be like, no, no, no. And try and like get the treats away from them. And I was just like, Fun at its core, kiddish is about like kids get treats, <laughs> um, and so I was like, "Oh, this is just like a fundamental difference in how me and this Israeli family I've never met before understand what kiddish is." Like, I would never. It's I just would never say to my kids like, "You can't have that at kiddish." Like, even if it's their fourth cookie, it's like it's kiddish. It's a buffet. This is, I mean, it's not going to be good, <laughs> but it's fine. I didn't realize that I had that, like, feeling about Kiddish that, like, it's not really appropriate to, like, try and, like, strictly limit what your kids have at Kiddish until I saw people trying to do it. And I, like, literally laughed. I was like, you can't do that. You can't tell kids that they can't have a brownie bite at Kiddish. Like, it's just not how Kiddish usually goes. So... I also just want to say shout out in my school growing up, somebody had this incredible idea to do themed kiddishes and they did an orange themed kiddish. And it was like orange soda and carrots and cheese and orange slices and like, and um those little cheese puffs that you could get in like the huge drum. And it was like, 1993, 1994, and I just remember it being, like, brilliant. Like, we talked about this kiddish. I'm still talking about it now. (laughs) It was amazing. So, shout out to whoever uh, did the orange kiddish, because it really made my lifetime.
2: Tamar, you're making me realize that Orange food as a theme, probably not my favorite. <laughs> like if we had to pick our favorite food colors. You so can't that, you mean,
0: can't do it for very many. We people tried to do it for other colors after that, because the orange one was so successful. But it's like brown, fine, but then it's not as appetizing to be like, oh, so many brown foods. And then after that, you're out of viable colors.
2: But I agree with you that to me, kiddish was always the post shul snack and not supposed to be lunch. Um, but I, 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 the thing about limiting kids junk food intake or whatever you want to call it at kiddish, I think one theme that I hear from peers with small children on Shabbat now is like the utter helplessness in the face of the weirdness that is Shabbat food consumption. And that bringing your small child to shul means that probably their nap schedule is a mess. They're getting lots of candy from the candy giving adults. They have kiddish. They need snacks to keep them quiet during the service. And then kiddish is a little bit early for lunch, but it spoils their appetite for l- And like, we're all just throwing up our hands and going like Shabbat the day with no schedule or rolls. Um, And so in the same way that kiddish is not a meal, but, weirdly interrupts your meal schedule i think it's sort of emblematic of the whole day as it works for kids
1: yes agree. Okay. a palace in time <laughs> and candy a palace of candy that's me. exactly what heschel had in mind <laughs> exactly could you imagine if the woodcuts were instead like plastic like colorful candies um fruit yeah. gems and kichel <laughs> oh my goodness um so yeah, I think also part of the like one of it one of the reasons that I don't make much of an effort to limit my kids' sugar intake in shul or sabbat generally, um, with some caveats, but like I want them to like be excited about going to shul, right? Like I and I want them to also feel more autonomy when they're in shul and when they're at kiddish, like both so that they have a good feeling about it. And also so that I can have some chance of talking to my friends at kiddish. And if I'm spending the whole time chasing them around and saying like, no, 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 don't have that brownie bite, <laughs> then that will make my experience of kiddish be far less enjoyable. Um, I mean, there's like, you could institute some rules about like, have some non-candy first or like some non-sugar foods first and then, you know, have a good time.
0: (laughs) But that actually leads very nicely into the next big piece of it, which is the social component, which I think you did touch on as the, from the kind of like sharing picnic that you had in Israel, Yael. But I'm also curious, like, how do you experience kiddush? now socially um like what are you kind of like looking forward to or dreading or expecting from that social situation
1: yeah and a lot of it is also defined by having young kids right like my the spectrum of my kids ages is such that the older ones have a lot more autonomy but the younger ones one of whom has a, a food allergy um requires more supervision at least some supervision and um like if they decide that they're going to be sitting on the stage in the like shul kiddush room then that like you know it, it just um i don't i don't have as much autonomy as i would like at <laughs> kiddish and i think that it's also further complicated by the fact that um i'm married to an introvert who kiddish can be challenging for introverts Right, like it's it's a big open space. It's a it's a loud room, um, and it's you know it's a hard place to have like a nice quiet conversation with someone, um, and to and to connect with people. Um, and so I find that actually a lot more of my social connecting happens chatting in the hallway when going in and out of shul and less so. At Kiddish, um, which is interesting, how it has evolved in that way. Um, but when my time was not taken up more by um, childcare duties, more of my socializing happened during Kiddish.
2: You know, it's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'm thinking about how the kid thing affects my socialization during Kiddish, and I actually think that the kid factor affects my socialization everywhere else more like I don't tend to invite over people who don't have young kids for Shabbat meals because I don't want to inflict my kid chaos on people who don't have young kids but kiddish is actually when I socialize with people outside my age cohort or that demographic so um I have like great friendly conversations with people who, you know, have grown kids or who have no kids or who are my, you know, parents or grandparents age at kiddish, And that's really the only time that I have to socialize with people outside my more immediate demographic and age group. um, Because I think the kid factor is much less salient when they can be more independent or when they're sort of entertained by the hubbub of the room. um, And I can talk to people that I would only know through Shul. Um, in the kiddish setting. I feel like that's kind of the only place I do it.
1: That's a really good point. And that is a time where I interact in very fleeting ways with people outside of my generation, but it's usually just like passing by as, you know, like, oh, I got to go check on this kid. But like, but it is, yeah, definitely like having some interaction, even if it's short um, in a more intergenerational way is
0: really nice. I really struggle socially at Kiddish because I have a lot of friends at shul and so I want to talk to them although to be fair um, and candid I am often talking to them also during davening but there's more people that I want to talk to at Kiddish, so I have people I want to talk to but then I also feel uh, well my kids are now both at ages where like they don't need anything for me at Kiddush and they are off playing by themselves. And so (laughs) they are non-factors except that sometimes I have to go like looking for them for quite some time at the end of Kiddush when I'm ready to go home. I want to talk to my friends, but I also really want to like welcome people that I don't know and like, you know, say hello to people who I don't speak to very often or whatever. And it's hard to balance that because it's like, I don't, I don't, I have, there are some people who've been coming to my shul for a while, but they don't come to Kiddish. So I don't know them because, like, I'm not going to go up and introduce myself to somebody and try and, like, talk to them during davening for the most part. Like, if I'm friends with someone, then, like, we might chat during the Haftarah, but we're not, like, gonna go excuse me, up to a stranger and be like, hey, who are you? What are you doing here? I feel like I should be doing that at Kiddish, but it's also like it's time that I want to spend with my friends. And so I always feel like I'm kind of having to curb my desire to just hang out with my friends to also like reach out to people who might be less comfortable. Um, But it's also it's like I might be tired other things could be going on. Like I'm not always the person who wants to reach out in that moment. I just like, I would like to be, I aspire to be the kind of person that always tries to make people feel comfortable at kiddish. And I think that it is hard to do because it is so much like the cafeterias of middle school in some ways. Like people have their people that they sit with and their people that they know. And like, it's hard to break into them if you don't already know someone. Um, and some communities are better at it than others. And some people are better at it than others. And some people are also just like, not worried about it. You know, like I don't feel weird when I go to a shul that I've never been to. If I'm like traveling and I go to shul in some other city or some other country, I don't feel weird about like not knowing anyone in that shul because like, why would I know somebody there? So it's fine. But I do feel weird. Um, when I, Like I'm like, oh, I know that there's a new family here or a new person here and I want to say hi, but also like I'm already in a conversation with my friends and I'm enjoying myself and I don't want to just like disappear. Not something that I find
2: hard to balance. I just want to give a shout out to somebody who goes to my parents' school who is wonderful at balancing conversations with existing friends with welcoming in new people to the conversation. I just very smooth, like she'll be having a one-on-one conversation with somebody. She'll notice somebody lingering in the vicinity who seems at loose ends and she will so gracefully turn and say, oh, hi, we are talking about such and such. And that person has been so thoroughly invited. It's amazing how smoothly she does it. And I really admire it. Uh, it's something that I've tried to copy a few times. I'm not as smooth as she is, but it just works so well. It's not like, let me break off my conversation to go actively welcome you because you may or may not be a new person. It's more like, why don't you be part of the conversation that I'm having? And and she's very good at it. I find the welcoming new people to be a little bit fraught because there have been times when I have been a non new person who has been welcomed and it just made me feel invisible. It's like, Oh, you haven't noticed me for three years. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's great. Thanks. You know? And, and so I'm always feeling like it's a danger zone to presume that someone is new. So I'm, I'm really trying to be more intentional, intentional about saying, I'm not sure we've met as opposed to, are you new here? Um, because I've been on the receiving end of, of interactions that didn't make me feel great, even though the person was well-meaning.
0: That is a very smart framing. When I was in graduate school, I was in a program with two other people. And there was like a party to welcome us. And then the next year, there were three more people. And there was a party to welcome them where we, that we were also at. And one of the heads of the grad school came up to one of the guys who was in my year which is to say he'd been in the three-person program for a year already and was like, hi, I, I'm the cha- department chair. So nice to meet you. <laughs> this poor guy was like, I'm Matthew. I've been here for a year. <laughs> it, was, I, it was real, real, real bad. <laughs> um, so I appreciate that you are working to combat that. I feel like we have not mentioned one of the most fraught things about Kiddish which is the awkward or upsettingly rude person at Kiddish. I definitely have been on the receiving end of some unfortunate comments about my body, uh, lots of uh, unwanted feedback on my parenting from all manner of people at Kiddish. So it's like, I, I like Kiddish because it's like laid back social time with my friends. But also, it's like a minefield. Like, some bad things can go down because it is an environment where it's like, oh, we're all friends here, but it's like, we're not. Like, I've never seen you before, and you are 87, so your ideas about child-rearing may not be the same as mine, and I'm not actually looking for input right now. But, like, it turns out you don't get to stipulate that. Have you... Do you know of what I speak or is this a special to fox uh, experience?
2: I have to say, I don't think this is a big problem in my kiddish going experience. I, I wonder if some of this is like a community size thing. Like when you have a smaller shul and people have more of the, oh, we're all friends here expectation, is that a bigger risk? Um, and if you're in a large school in a massive social hall, and people are more likely to cluster with those they already know, is that less of a risk? But I, I feel fortunate to say that isn't a huge factor in my kiddish going experience.
1: Yeah, it's also not for mine. Um, and I have been, it is something that I feel very nervous about, or, you know, like, my, my kids are running around and I'm nervous. There are a lot of elderly people and I, and I'm worried about them knocking into someone. And so whenever my kids or any other kids are running around close to where elderly people might be walking or people who have, um, who like may have trouble walking or could easily trip over, over a running child. Like I, I tell them you guys like okay, you can run in this specific area where there's no walkways through. But yeah, I mean, so it's been something that I've been nervous about, but it hasn't come to a head because in our community, there's like a culture of like, oh, look at all the young people. Isn't that just so wonderful? (laughs) And I mean, so there was one time where, and this was pre-COVID, where I was in the kiddish line and I was holding my then 18-month-old and she projectile vomited all oh over, no. <laughs> like not on the food. She missed the food, like, and I was just so worried about, like, and people came to help, right? Like, it wasn't a like, how dare you bring your like obviously sick child? Like, we didn't know that was the first sign that she had been sick at all. Um, yeah, and it was, it was very, um, yeah, I felt. I felt seen and I felt helped and um yeah so I I wonder if it's like maybe like a small like what Zahaba was saying it's like a small community thing and like people think that they have license to say things I'm really sorry that you had that experience that really stinks I'm sorry
0: I mean I think that the price that you pay for having an intergenerational Jewish community is that you are going to get intergenerational ideas about different things. And that's good, but it doesn't always feel good in that exact moment. I think what I find to be more challenging is less like overtly rude comments and more a dynamic where there's a lot of older people who, you know, they have mobility challenges, maybe they have a scooter or a wheelchair or a um uh like a cane or something and there's people with <clears throat> there's blind people who are using canes, there's all kinds of um different people with different abilities at kiddish and I do sometimes feel like makes things complicated and people and speaking for, for myself and my friends, like it's not really set up to accommodate everyone. Like it's kiddish. And I think this is true at almost every kiddish that I've been to in quite some time is just like, it's not great for people who aren't, aren't able to walk easily and also carry a plate. You know, like the thing about A buffet style situation is like, you really need to be like somebody with access to two hands. And that's hard Um, for lots of people, people carrying babies and people who um, are holding canes or are in a wheelchair or whatever. So I think that it's from that perspective, it's hard. And then it also is just like space, like the physical space becomes so challenging. And, you know, what you said about like kids running around and being afraid that people will trip on them. I just think like so many kiddish spaces are set up in a way where it's like you're packed in in such a weird, awkward way. Like it makes me crazy that people always have those big round tables at kiddish because you can't talk easily to people who are more than like three seats away from you because they're too wide. They take up so much space. So then you're like chairs right up against somebody else's chair and you're constantly having to like push your chair in or whatever. I, I just find them to be very awkward space-wise. Um, and mm-hmm. I wish there was more, I wish kiddish spaces were set up in a way that made it easier for people to move around. But I, I think that also like what I have learned when I've thought about this is I don't want kiddish lunch. And so part of what I am, like, strategizing towards is I just think it should be a short-term snacky thing. And so, like, some cocktail tables and some, like, smaller card table kinds of things that people could sit at is better, in my opinion, than, like, big round tables where people sit for 30 minutes. That's, like, less compelling to me. And then also a consequence of there
1: being a culture of having a kiddish lunch is that then people aren't having Shabbat lunch at home, which I think has a detrimental effect on having a culture of Shabbat meals, right? I mean, you could get together afterwards for Sue Dashly Sheet for the third meal, um, but I think like the the social time of having lunch and then hanging out together afterwards in the afternoon is a really cozy, intimate friendship, relationship building, community cultivating time on a more intimate scale. And you really lose something by having a kiddish lunch where that's, it's just not as, um, it's not as needed. Um, I mean, we, we regularly um, have, you know, friends come over after, um, after shul and by the time we get home, it's like two o'clock. And so, um, but it's, it's kind of, and those tend to be like um, pajama Shabbat friends, like people who like you're, you know, really um, comfortable with and like you can just excuse yourself to go have, take a nap. <laughs> That's not rude that you're like leaving your guests in order to go take a, na- a Shabbat nap. Um, and it ends up just limiting the more, um, you know, developing friendships with other, with other people who maybe you otherwise would have invited over for Shabbat lunch.
0: Yes. I've complained about this at my, because I do think that there's basically no culture of inviting people over for Shabbat lunch other than us because people just assume that they'll you know eat whatever lunch is available at shul and I'm just like but that lunch sucks like it may be there it's just bad if you come to my house I'm gonna feed you good food <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that's less compelling when you're standing in Kiddush line I mean I think it's very compelling I understand
2: for others. One phenomenon that is happening at my shul right now is so. As I said before, where I live in Toronto, it's a larger community. There's, you know, something like 700 member families that belong to my shul. Not all of them are weekly attendees, um, but it's it's a large congregation, and there are multiple services happening on a given morning. Right there's a Hashkama early morning minion. There are. Uh, essentially three parallel services happening during the core part of the morning plus a a teen service. So there are five different services that go on on a Shabbat morning and most of the time the default is individual kiddishes. Um, They end at slightly different times, different people that attend different services kind of want to sponsor for their core service group if they're sponsoring a Kiddush for an occasion. And I think this one of the one of the parallel services is fairly new to the community. So we're still sort of working out having three parallel adult services at the same time. But it's starting to feel to me really detrimental to the vibe of community. Um, that that is really undermining to the to the unity that it doesn't feel like the services are aiming to finish at the same time there can be slightly different menu norms in the different services they're in different rooms like there's something going on where it's almost like well i've opted into this service culture um and it feels like a missed opportunity i think this is something that Uh, So I've heard more than one person raise as being like, gee, isn't that odd? Or wouldn't it be nice if we all got together? But people have sort of taken it for granted that the logistics of having different services that are ending at a little bit different times kind of prevents it. I think there are other shuls that work that out and they just have a unity kiddish. Um, In fact, it seems sort of grandiose to say unity kiddish as opposed (laughs) to just the shul kiddish. Um, But I, I I do think it's a shame. Um, it, it has contributed to, uh, what I would call the shvachification of all of the services and kiddishes to have it, um, be so fragmented. And I, I think that, especially because first of all, you may not be someone who talks to friends in shul. I mean, I don't know, then, then we probably aren't friends, but you may not be that person. And (laughs) You, you may also just like be in a different section of the shul or whatever. Like the service is actually not a particular like communing with community time in many ways. And kiddish offers that opportunity unless you undermine it. And I, I feel like right now we're struggling with that.
0: I have um, attended shuls where there's like multiple services and they all have their own kiddish with a different vibe to the kiddish, But then like once a month, There's like a, we all have, there's, it's one kiddish at the same, everyone has it at the same time. And sometimes it's even like available in multiple rooms, but it's the same food. And it's like, everybody goes into like the one big room for like literally the saying of kiddush or whatever, which I think is the kind of splitting the baby solution to your problem. If such a thing were appealing. I feel like we should mention the change like have well two things that come up for me one is are there changes that happened to kiddish during covid that have stuck around in your shul that you like or dislike and two is um related to that at least in my experiences my experience during covid like kiddish was like a million single serve packets of whatever it was like crackers and granola bars and whatever, which just created an enormous amount of trash and waste. And I have not really seen many shoals do a ton to curb that kind of thing. Um, and so I'm curious if you feel like there is any or there should be any way, any kind of norms around minimizing unnecessary waste at Kiddish or just kind of like Values around greening your kiddish, as it were?
2: I think it's an interesting question. First of all, I, I don't think any COVID related changes have stuck around in my shul's kiddish, which is interesting because I feel like early in kiddish, early in kiddish, <laughs> early in COVID, we were saying things like, Man, that big communal bowl of chips that people stick their hands in, that is gone forever. And you know what? Not gone forever. It's back, <laughs> baby. Um so I think that other than, you know, the smattering of people who are wearing masks not being conspicuous. Um, and I think that's just true in life, uh, post-COVID, is that we just sort of expect that some people will be wearing masks sometimes. Other than that, nothing's really stuck around. I think the waste question is interesting. I think it duels a little bit with wanting to feel like there is plenty. You know, so the the minimizing food waste feels like it is a little bit in opposition to creating an atmosphere of abundance where everybody's welcome, everybody can pull up a plate, like we're not, it's not a scanty atmosphere. Weirdly, I think maybe the, the thing that allows for both is actually the most expensive option, which is to have the Kiddush be heavily staffed, which is you don't put out all the food at the top, but as something gets emptied, you put out another plate, you know, but that requires significant expense or uh, a large, heavy-on-the-infrastructure kind of institution. Um, yeah, I, I don't, but I don't have great solutions. Like, I do think that ultimately Kiddush winds up being wasteful, Um, and in my head, it is kind of part of the general suspension of good norms that I was talking about earlier, where kids are eating tons of candy all Shabbat and nobody's on their normal sleep schedule. And also we waste a lot of food. Like, I, I also make too much food when I host people for Shabbat lunch in a way that I don't overcook for a Tuesday. Uh, And so there is, I think, a general norm where abundance is prioritized over thrift or efficiency. I
1: think, so what I've noticed in my community is maybe less food waste and more single serve, like, or like khatpami, like disposable dishes use, um, where I think in... um, you know, kind of like when COVID was more of a broad communal concern, but they were still working it out to have kiddish. um, They started, instead of having like one big bowl of salad that people take from, they started having little plastic bowls of salad that people just take, which is also, so it uses more, dishes because then people also have like whatever big plate they're using to take other things or they're having like many they're having one big plate and then lots of like little bowls of the various salads that they're taking so that uses up a lot of disposable dishes and to some extent I think it depends on the event like if there's a large simcha then they I think they've been continuing to do that because actually for it's a lot more efficient, right? Like you just grab that and then keep going in line rather than like digging out like the chickpeas from that chickpea salad, whatever, like trying to find the best parts of the salad or the worst parts that you don't want, which is probably not allowed on Shabbat anyway so <laughs> uh, there should be instructions next to the salad bowl of like this is Borair. don't do it I'm like selecting things anyway no they don't have that at my mainstream conservative shul but that has continued to some extent and something that our shul has started doing is on a volunteer basis they have community members staff the recycling, compost and trash area um, to help people understand which things go in which area, which I think has been helpful. Yeah, it definitely has been helpful. And maybe that's a direction that the synagogue would have gone in anyway, and maybe isn't directly related to COVID, but it is, um, but it is something that is especially useful now that they're using more disposable dishes.
0: I have like such, I'm so torn on this because a thing that I loved about COVID Kiddish was A, it was outside. So we were out of the like really awkward space that we had been in. It was not as accessible because we had to be standing outside. So there wasn't like seating and the space that was available was like basically a sidewalk. So that could be awkward or inaccessible for our people and also for community members who are trying to use the the sidewalk. Also, one time um, when we were eating Kiddush outside, a bird pooped on my dad's head. That was unfortunate. So that's, as he said to me later, that never happens at indoor Kiddush. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there are risks. But what I liked about it was the like single serve things made it really clear that it was just a snack. Like you couldn't really have a lunch. So everybody understood that like this is a snack and it made it actually, I think, a little easier for there to be a Shabbat lunch community. And that has kind of gone away as they brought back more like kiddish lunch kind of
2: thing. It is totally clear to me that the snack element of Kiddish is Tamar's absolute, like, this is the hill you're going to die on. Everything comes back to the snackability of Kiddish.
0: Well, I'm fine with a Kiddish lunch if it's a good lunch. I just usually find that Kiddish lunches are bad lunches. And so I'm like a snob and I want actually good food for lunch, or I just want to go, whatever. I, you're not wrong. <laughs> But also like, I like a lot of snack foods and a lot of things that are typically kiddish foods like tuna salad and egg salad, I really do not like. So for me, it's like also just about like, what are my actual food preferences? But I liked that it was, it made it It made it made clear that it was like, this isn't like, people are not going to hang out at an outdoor kiddish for a super long time, which I was fine with. Like I liked that I had time to socialize. I liked that it was outside. I actually thought that was really lovely. And then I liked that it was like, okay, now we're going to go home. Maybe we'll have people for lunch or maybe we won't. But like, it it felt like a more definitive end than Kiddish sometimes has. I agree though that a thing that I hated about that and still hate about Kiddish is the amount of waste that happens with like disposable everything. I have seen shuls where like, there is a shul in Mount Airy where they have like reusable plates and cups and it's somebody's there's like a volunteer every week who collects all that stuff and like washes it at their house and then brings it back to shul and I've also been at shuls in Israel where people do that and I think that's like awesome it is work but it also like I I like that it it also reinforces the idea that like kiddish involves labor and I think a lot of the time the labor that happens at Kiddush is like really invisible to people because like the buffet is set up when you come upstairs or to the next room from Davening. Like literally you don't see anybody bring it out. I think that's a little bit of a lost opportunity to like appreciate that like this is work to set all of this up and it costs money and time and um, you know very often it's women who are doing the setting up of Kiddush Um, If there isn't like a paid staff or even if it is a paid staff, it's usually going to be women. I like that the, you know, the responsibility of washing things. It's like if you're eating off of a real plate, even if it's like a, you know, and it's not going to be like a nice plate, but just like a plastic plate that somebody has to wash. Like, I do think people are more careful about like not wasting in those situations. And I think it is a worthy thing. It's just like our communities are not set up for it. Like it's a real, it's, it's not actually that hard to do, which I know because I've been part of communities that do it, but I think it is like a really big mental leap for people to be willing to devote that much labor to Kiddush after Kiddush. Like Kiddush, my, my view of Kiddush as a snacky thing is like, people don't think of snacks as things that you like really invest time in afterwards. But like, if you have a reusable plate, then you do have to like invest time in that afterwards. So I think that's a a challenge.
2: One final thing I wanted to ask about is is to see what you all think of, or have you seen challenges with alcohol culture around Kiddush? Um, I think it's very common to have one side of the room has the drink drinks table where there's scotch or schnapps or whatever's the, you know, mix of things available at your shul. Um, I, I've heard from a rabbi friend about members of their congregation who struggle as people in recovery with the array of alcohol available at Kiddush. I haven't seen strong community norms around acknowledging this as a challenge or wanting to tackle it together. But I don't know if this is something that you all have seen either as a problem or something good practice about it.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen that so much as a, I haven't seen that so much at communal kiddishes. Like the kiddish clubs that I've seen are more towards the end of davening. A group of men will walk out and go into someone's office where there's like a nice bottle of scotch and they'll, and they'll partake, and then they'll come back to shul. And I don't see so much alcohol at Kiddush itself. Um, and yeah, so that's just not something that, that I've seen so much. And I wonder, um, yeah, I, I wonder to what extent that is by design to be more thoughtful about people who are i mean not that the kiddish club is by design and is being thoughtful because i think that that can be kind of clicky and uh yeah i think it can be kind of clicky like it's very clear like who's on the inside um but yeah no i wonder if like that's in some synagogues a um A thoughtful decision about like we don't want there to be conspicuous consumption here of alcohol because of people struggling in this community or who who might be
0: there is typically a bottle or two of some kind of liquor at kiddish at my school you kind of have to look for it like it's not really obvious and i don't think i've ever seen anyone get in any way visibly drunk i actually used to have whiskey at Kiddush. And then I just found that, like, I often really haven't eaten much before <laughs> Kiddush on Shabbat. And, like... It's because you only treat it as snacking. <laughs> a shot of whiskey on basically an empty stomach at, like, 12.30 on Shabbat is, like, a really weird way to have your day um, go. So I don't recommend it. So I've started being like, I won't have it unless I've, like, already eaten something. But I don't... I would be curious to hear from somebody who's in recovery about if it is something that they feel uncomfortable around. It doesn't feel like an important part of the kiddish experience. Having alcohol, like if it's not there, I definitely will not miss it. And in fact, like it might not have been there any of the last 10 kiddishes I went to. I don't know if that's how it feels for for others. And I would be curious about that. When I was growing up, there was never liquor at Kiddush at all. But there was, like, the really terrible Manischewitz wine. And now it's like you'll only really have Kedem grape... Like, you would only really expect to have Kedem grape juice at Kiddush.
2: I wonder if this is more of an Orthodox shul thing, listening to you both. Because with the exception of college communities, which are a whole different alcohol dynamic, every Orthodox shul that I have gone to a kiddish at has had one of the tables has drinks and multiple bottles of liquor. I think it's a standard expectation. Like you said, it's not the center of the room. Most people are not partaking, but it is a a presence. It is always there in shuls that I have been part of in the North American Orthodox shul scene.
0: What an interesting difference Denominational <laughs> difference.
2: People are just being really, really strict about what kind of beverage is uh, sufficiently nice to make kiddush on. Clearly, definitely, definitely, definitely. Like I will only make kiddush on shahakal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know we've talked about good food, bad food, but can we talk about Hamish food? Right, like at kiddush, like the like kugel and Cholent and that being kind of like a cultural signifier, maybe of kite of like a certain kind of like cultural religiosity. And I think like, Hamish like I don't know what's a good translation for like kind of like warm cozy comfortable warm but it's not good like it's not like good it's not like tasty food it's just like comfort it's like comfortable and I remember I was at a maybe it was a kiddish or like some other food function and I saw someone there who is a foodie and he was like he was just eating it was like so what do you think about the food. And he was like, it's nice. <laughs> and, and, and I think that that's like kind of the experience of Kiddish in a lot of ways of like the, the food experience of Kiddush. Like it's nice, right? Like it's, which Tamar, I think maybe is yeah, like, like something it's that nice. I'm anticipating. <laughs> no, like maybe it's nice, but it's not good. <laughs> but I think like there's, but there's something kind of, I, I don't know, like it's, it's like this is like, it's the experience of Kiddush. I am experiencing Kiddush, and, but it's not a, like, I am having a Gourmet
2: meal. We should acknowledge the like Shabbat rule limitations on what food can be served though. I mean, and also the logistical limitations, I think. Unless you're saying that, let right? Like, right? No, but I'm saying like the, the default hot food additions, right? That you can have an all cold kiddush, but I think you're right that the sort of default hot food in an Ashkenazi shul setting, let's acknowledge, um, is right. like potato kugel, chillent. Um, but I think, You need, if you're going to have hot food, it needs to be something that isn't liquidy, right? Because Mm -hmm. Shabbat rules Mm -hmm. uh, stand in the way traditionally of heating up something liquid in an Ashkenaz community um, or has been on a heat source since the beginning of Shabbat, like chillent. It needs to be something whose quality is not significantly diminished by heating up over a sterno canister, (laughs) which means frankly, that if you were starting with gourmet, then it's probably wasted on the aluminum pan over the sterno canister. Um, So you have like a fairly limited set of options. Uh, well, not even, actually, the canister. That would be a Friday night situation because you can't light the fire. I don't know why I said that. But like mm-hmm. something that needs to not be diminished in quality by being warmed up on a hot plate. I mean, right. these things aren't... Shabbat day does not lend itself to super high-quality hot food for for a mass set. I mean, you're not That's you're not why it should
0: be snacks. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Flag
0: planted. I rest my case. <laughs> I I do know that like there are people who have really strong feelings of like, oh, it's nice that there's like hot food at this kiddish. And like sometimes people will even like announce the kiddish like it's a hot kiddish or it's a meat kiddish, whatever. I'm just a hater. I don't know what to tell you. I just want snacks and then I want to go home and <laughs> eat actual good food in my house um, or someone else's house. That would also be fine. And I, I think that my enjoyment of those things is really based on like, it's still not that good most of the time. But also I'm a vegetarian. And I think it's possible that if I was eating meat, I would be like, this is pretty good. But I'm not. So I'm just like, oh, this is just like a sad old roll with cream cheese on it. I'm not it doesn't feel Hamish um, <laughs> but
2: vegetarianism just isn't Hamish oh. tomorrow. it has other virtues okay. but it is not Hamish.
1: okay but you do eat fish right so you could have a piece of gefilte fish with a little carrot on top
0: okay but that's disgusting so I will not be doing that <laughs>
2: Well, was you and I are going to have it out on. on I'm not saying vegetarian isn't wonderful for many other reasons, but I don't think you could argue that it is the Hamish choice.
0: I mean, I feel strongly I could make that argument, but I will not do that at this point. I think it is time for us to go on, on to our uh, recommendations, but this has been great. I'm so glad we got to talk about it. What a great conversation. Okay, Yeah, Yael, what do you have to recommend or endorse to us today?
1: My recommendation is something that came out of a resolution that I made around the new year to be better at social planning. It found that like we just weren't having Shabbat meals with people because we just like didn't think about it until like Thursday night and then we were just like texting friends and like, oh no, we already have plans. And then just, oh great, another Shabbat where we're alone. <laughs> so we instituted a weekly family business meeting that happens on Saturday nights after Shabbat ends and our kids are in bed, where we plan out one, what. Or our Shabbat meal plans for the coming week? What are our plans for Sunday? What is a snapshot? Like what is, what's going on in the next week? And what are some like, oh, like Shavuot is in a couple of weeks. Like what are things that we need to think about or something like that? So highly, highly recommend having that as part of your, if you are scheduling challenged in the way that I am, highly recommend
0: having that set on the schedule. That's it. Really good recommendation. But I have to say planning next Shabbat, Motse Shabbat is hardcore. Like <laughs> I have a reminder on my calendar on Tuesday night to plan Shabbat, but Saturday night, that's serious business. I Yeah. I, I mean,
1: it's a delayed, I then have another reminder to send texts later in the week because sending someone a message inviting them to come for a Shabbat meal at like 9 30 on Saturday night is kind of a turnoff probably for people (laughs) like wow they're really intense
0: Uh, that's amazing okay Zahava what do you have to endorse
2: well it's been a while since our last recording so I've got two endorsements one more recent one a little farther back but in the latest edition of the Atlantic And it went up online, it's dated June 9th, but the June-July issue of The Atlantic comes as a single issue. Um, There is an interview that Judd Apatow did with Mel Brooks called The Immortal Mel Brooks on the occasion of Mel Brooks's 97th birthday, which is not a round number, but I think when you're 97, every birthday uh, deserves a magazine feature. So it is a really great interview about Lots of wide ranging things, but it includes his experience serving in World War II, his experience as, as a very Jewish comic early on, his experience doing stand up in the Borscht Belt hotels. I think that there are comedians now, secular Jewish comedians who everybody knows they're Jewish, but their Jewishness is not as central to their humor as Mel Brooks's is. And I mean, also it's hilarious because it's Mel Brooks telling jokes in conversation, but it is a, a great interview. So I recommend from the July, uh from from actually the the July-August issue of The Atlantic, but went up online in, in June, The Immortal Mel Brooks, which is an interview with Judd Apatow. And so we'll link that in show notes. The other thing I want to recommend is from I think it was actually from late last year, but I discovered it a little behind schedule. And that is a podcast series from Tablet called Gate Crashers, which is a podcast about the Hidden History of Jews and the Ivy League from unorthodox co-host Mark Oppenheimer. It's interesting in a lot of ways. There's an episode for each Ivy League university, but really each one is just an opportunity to explore something different, whether it's, um, you know, Jewish quotas or the experience of independent Jewish house living on campuses or the rise of kosher dining or different forms of anti-Semitism and admissions. It is both interesting in and of itself about the Ivy League, about just sort of what mid-century, 20th century Jewish American life was like. Also, if you've been paying attention to end-of-term Supreme Court news and the recent Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action, there's a lot of resonance with certain elements of the way admissions policy treated Jews in the last century and the way the case discusses and considers uh, potential evidence of discrimination against Asian Americans. Now, there are a lot of people drawing those parallels. There are a lot of people questioning those parallels. I think all of that conversation is really interesting. And this podcast is a fun lens into all of those things. And also how I found out that Isaac Asimov was, Isaac Asimov was just too Jewish for Columbia University. Uh, (laughs) Wow. Yep. Yep. They were just like, you know what? Can we slough you off on this little special junior college we founded for siphoning off the juice? So that's in the first episode, little preview. Uh, very interesting. Um, also, shout out to a college classmate uh, of mine, Abby Kleonsky, who's featured in one of the episodes. But definitely worth a listen if any of that sounded interesting to you.
0: Mm, that sounds really good. I am so excited about this endorsement. I have been thinking about it for weeks and I am so excited to tell you all about my new favorite podcast other than this one which is called Yenta <laughs> and it is a Jewish secrets podcast hosted by a comedian named Ray Schiller and she is a queer comedian she grew up from and uh, she is like not from anymore but also like not not from like she cares about these things and she talks on the podcast about like she kind of like left being observant and now she's kind of like heading back towards it and she has a lot of comedians there's a surprising number of comedians who grew up from and are not from anymore or are from still that she has as guests it's great. It is, if you, like me, are both extremely horny and extremely into Judaism, this is the podcast for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, would you like to hear extremely horny secrets about various Jewish institutions? She's got you. Would you like to hear about losing your virginity to your Tresha roommate? Amazing. (laughs) Amazing. I was like, pour this directly into my ears. Amazing.
2: You're providing a sub- surprising uh, support for the high school teacher who told me that I shouldn't go to Trisha because they weren't. <laughs> Eurasia Mayim <laughs> over there. <laughs> Niche content.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Tamara, I feel like
1: your endorsements are frequently like, this cultural content must have been made specifically for me, bar Fox.
0: yes that is often my take (laughs) it turns out that there's quite a lot of people with my same um interests which are people talking about sex and people talking about judaism so here we are i found it ray also is a really excellent comedian who i recommend following um on whatever platform you're on i usually see her stuff on instagram she lives in la and she hosts some like Comedy nights in LA. So, um, if you are in LA, you should totally look her up and go to her shows. I'm like really sad that I don't really have that opportunity. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. But also, I just found out today that you can like watch YouTube videos of them recording the podcast. I don't know that I really need to do that because they're long-ish, but I'm not saying I won't because it seems like it also could be fun. If anything that I just said appealed to you at all, highly recommend podcast. We did it. We made it. It's been a long time coming this episode. So I hope that you all enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Jordan Daniel Mills for editing our show. If you have some time, we would love for you to leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Um, and it would be great if you could let us know what you'd like us to discuss on a future episode. You can leave a comment on a post on our Facebook page. Just look for Jewish Public Media or on our website, jpmedia.co, and then just choose Talking and Shul from the list of podcasts. You can also, of course, donate to Jewish Public Media at jpmedia.co, which is a great way to make sure that we can bring you another episode every month and to support us. So Hava, thank you so much. This was so fun. Great to see you. Yeah, El, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for uh, following your happy hour with uh, our kiddush. But not Kiddish Lunch.
1: <laughs> this was great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you both. And we will see you all next month.